0: Steve and his business partner, Parrot, <laughs> Parrot Barrett, you're going to learn not to book these on a Friday after, after like a long week. All right, here we go. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. We're working on a whole new and exciting season about turnarounds. Keep an eye out for that. It'll be out soon. But all this talk about turnarounds has gotten us a little nostalgic. We're having a turnaround of our own this season. So we wanted to make you a little bonus episode. I'm sitting here in the studio with my producer, Kieran Peterson, who's been working on the new season. Hey, Kieran.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um working on the new season is really really exciting. And um, one of the things that it's definitely done is made me think about some turnarounds of my own, like in my own career. Wait, like what? So the one that keeps coming to mind is uh, all of these are like very dramatic. And so my story is pretty dramatic in turn. And um, one of the things that it reminds me of is in college, I was like a rising star in my school newspaper. And... Uh, at one point I had become an editor in my like second year. I was a sophomore editor, which was pretty much unheard of. And it was crazy. Awesome. Yeah. I felt really good about myself. I was like, "Oh, I'm on I'm on the rise. This is like where I should be." Um, and then because of like a variety of factors, I ended up getting fired no. from that job like very early on. Aww, so, sad, I was a rising star cut very short. <laughs> Um, And I think about, like, there's this this, – somebody told me this when I first moved to Washington, D.C. to go to school. And they were like, well, the thing about moving to a new city is that you've never truly lived in that city until you've cried publicly in that city. And so I definitely did that. I was walking (laughs) down the street just weeping. And I eventually ended up in front of my dorm. And there was a bench in front of my dorm. And I just was sitting there crying. And, like, this is where it gets really dramatic and kind of stupid, <laughs> if it's not dramatic enough. Um, but I was sitting there, and then all of a sudden a bike, a cyclist, was making a right turn, and it got hit by a truck. Oh, my God. And I was like, this is rock bottom. Because, of, <laughs> of course, when someone gets injured, my first reaction is to think of myself. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I watched someone get hit by a car, and and a friend walked over, and they were cleaning up the scene. Oh, my God. And uh, my friend was like, you look a little rough. Like, what's going on with you? And I told her the whole story, and she, she got me a smoothie. She, like, went and got me a smoothie and came back. And I think it was, like, the first real step for me to just lean on friends more, mm-hmm. not try to be this really strong, independent woman who, like, is a a tree in the forest alone like there's other trees around you're part of this whole group so yeah. I think it was from then that I I really just started trusting my my friends and my instincts to trust my friends um, which is a lot of how I ended up getting here so very cool
0: yeah what so, about you oh uh, so let's see I mean like your story you know a lot of turnarounds I think have to do with discovering something about yourself or, um, yeah. you know, taking a new approach to the way that you think about your own life and career. And uh, so when I think back to, to my college time, I was sort of like floating a little bit. Nothing was really wrong. Nothing was bad. But I was just indecisive. I changed majors like four times. Mm. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And it was like junior year and the, the clock was ticking. I had to make some moves. Yeah. Um, and what happened was All of my... So this is my anti-friend story. All my friends (laughs) and college roommates, junior year, moved out of the apartment and decided to go abroad. So they sublet their um, rooms in our apartment, which is fine. um, Or I thought it was fine until they were just systematically replaced by their subletters who were all professional models. No. (laughs) Like three gorgeous models. And I was... I was a solid six and a half, maybe. Oh, no. Uh, and so I, and, and, you know, but, you know, I love those models looking back because I, I didn't really get along with them. I was sort of a um, stranger in my own house, which meant that it pushed me outside a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I started riding the subway and bringing a notebook and writing and spending a lot of time sort of with myself and processing. And I found this real love for writing. Um, and that, those notes that I wrote in those months riding the subway while my model roommates were back home watching reality <laughs> TV uh, turned into the backbone for my senior thesis and uh, kind of put me on this direction of wanting a career that was really rich in writing. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it gave me, gave me some purpose. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. Here's oh. to the models.
1: Here's to the models. <laughs> and smoothies. And smoothies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. So we're going to be telling all kinds of stories like this in the new season. And in the meantime, if you have a personal turnaround story of your own, we want to hear it. Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at hello at show.com. You might just end up on the show.
1: Yes, I will listen to all of them.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely will. Uh, so Kieran, thank you so much for coming in today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so in preparation for the new season, we reached out to two of our favorite former guests to ask them about their turnaround stories. First up is Dan Pink. He was on the show early last year talking about how robots will not be taking over our jobs. Dan is a writer, and he hosts a podcast called 1320, where he asks one author three questions and wraps it all up in 20 minutes or less. Anyway, Dan's turnaround story starts where you'd expect every good story to start.
2: So uh, I grew up in in Central Ohio. Uh, I went to high school. I went to college. I got good grades in college. Uh, I didn't know what to do with my life, so I went to law school. I went to law school, didn't really like it, was really into politics, and graduated from law school, never practicing law, but instead went to work in politics, and eventually became a political speechwriter. That's the first 30 years of my life.
0: Pretty standard stuff. But throughout school and years into his career, Dan was always writing in the background. Articles, newspaper columns, he even won a short story contest. The problem was, this wasn't exactly a profitable side gig. While he was working long days as a speechwriter for a cabinet secretary and even the vice president of the United States, he wasn't allowed to get paid for his writing. So one day, his wife pulls him aside and finally confronts him. He was spending all of his extra time and energy writing. Why not strike out on his own and do it for real?
2: So in 1997, I quit my job, went up to the third floor of our little house in Washington, DC, and said, you know what? I'm gonna start doing my own writing. That's what's gonna be at the center. Uh, It took me literally a decade and a half to figure this out, but my turnaround was quitting my job, quitting my profession, and instead trying to become a writer because I realized in my early thirties, that's what I did.
0: So, you think he was a New York Times bestseller within a year?
2: Oh God, no! Come on!
0: Okay, so maybe it wasn't overnight.
2: Anything good takes a while. So, I was writing magazine articles and writing basically anything that I could, not anything, but I I was writing magazine articles and just trying to get published a lot, but at the very beginning, you know, that was not quite enough for me to make a living. And so what I started doing, which is kind of curious, is is that on the side, purely for money, I spent a little bit of time writing speeches for CEOs and executives, which was deadening but lucrative. You know, writing is really, really hard. Every day you have a cursor that's blinking at you saying, "Okay, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately?
0: A few years into the grind, he publishes his first book, which did okay, but it definitely didn't blow the doors off. So he went back to the blinking cursor for his second book, and then back to the cursor again for a third.
2: I think in most cases when people do turnarounds, it's not as if the rainbows sprout immediately and the unicorns begin running across your lawn. It's It's a very long and arduous and difficult process. But I think that the key, at least as I look at it, is just to... Get up in the morning and do your work. Get up in the morning and make some progress. Um, Do do really good work, treat people well, and play the long game. That doesn't always work, but I don't know of of a better recipe.
0: After the break, we're going to hear from another blast from the past. All right, so here's a question for you. What do mermaids, weed nuns, and medieval knights all have in common? Give up? They're all episodes of Weird Work, a podcast made by HubSpot, the same people who make this show. Each week, Sam Balter talks with people who have made a living in really weird ways, like a dinosaur erotica writer or an LSD microdosing coach. They've even talked with Wells Adams, the bartender from The Bachelor. Because let's face it, we're not all fit for the nine to five, but we are all a bit weird at heart. You can subscribe to Weird Work now in Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. All right, back to the show. Welcome back. In case you're just joining us, here's the deal. To prepare for our next season on Turnarounds, we reached out to two of our favorite former guests. Next up is Steve Blank. Today, Steve is an educator, but his turnaround story is from a very different time in his life. Back in 1993, when he was a CEO of a video game company.
1: This is rocket science.
0: This is an advertisement for Rocket Science games. Steve and his business partner Peter Barrett launched Rocket Science and touted it as the intersection of Silicon Valley and Hollywood. Within 18 months, they were on the cover of Wired magazine, but they hadn't even released their first game yet.
3: We had raised 35 million dollars. which now kind of feels like a seed round, but back then uh, was a lot of money for for a startup in the 90s, uh, and we were going to be the next top thing in video games.
0: Funders were fighting over them. But the reality was that the company was based on a pretty bold and pretty unproven idea that combining the point-and-click style of video games with Hollywood-level film production was going to transform the industry. This is meant to leave to U35661 you, approaching. You've got the Lodestar
2: and Iron Dog Bodine.
0: Lodestar, the legend of Tully Bodine, was Rocket Science's first PC game. In it, you play Tully Bodine, a ruffled looking Han Solo type, on his last big job. Good to see you, Iron Dog. What brings you to the backside of Alcatraz?
2: Big money. What else? Know any?
3: If I did, I wouldn't <laughs> tell you, you bastard. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. If you're buying red line, neat.
0: Rocket Science released six games between 1993 and 1997. And to be honest, they look pretty fun. Take Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, the second cataclysm.
2: Back in the year 2020 A.D., the Earth faced the devastation of the first great cataclysm.
0: The idea was, the world all but ended in the year 2020 because of climate change. The few surviving humans were forced underground.
2: Four hundred and fifty years after it had sealed itself off, returned to the daylight and was greeted by a radically
1: altered world.
0: In Dinosaurs and Cadillacs, you drive around in a red Cadillac and try to survive in the new world. With the dinosaurs. It sounds a little crazy, but honestly, so does Super Mario Brothers if you really think about it. There were a few problems, though. Rocket Science's theory that the marriage of Hollywood and Silicon Valley would change the world, it just wasn't proving to be true. Plus, Steve just didn't like video games. Or the people who played them, for that matter.
3: But at the end of the day, we made stuff that people didn't want to own and play. And, uh, you know, I went through the six stages of kind of failure and redemption. You know, stage one was kind of shock and surprise. Uh, Stage two was denial. Stage three was anger and blame. Well, it was my VC's fault my co-founder's fault or he was supposed to know what were good games. You know, blame everybody but myself. Forgot to look at the title on my business card. Uh, Stage four uh, was depression. Um, I started coming home and going to sleep at 4:30, and my wife uh, astutely observed that perhaps I was depressed. I went, no, 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 I'm just tired. Um, and then I went through a stage of acceptance, which would have been good enough. But then eventually uh, got through that and went through a stage of uh, insight and changing my behavior.
0: Steve told me that the failure of Rocket Science Games actually gave him a lot of the tools he needed to lay the groundwork for what he's known for today, the lean startup methodology.
3: You know, people tell you failure is good and, you know, fail fast and, you know, failure is an integral part of learning. That's, that all might be true, but failure sucks. On the other hand, that's how in, uh, individuals tend to grow. And, and over time, that's how the human race tends to grow. We get we get smarter um, as we learn from our mistakes. Um, unfortunately, human beings don't learn genetically. So we tend to repeat these mistakes uh, often. Um but hopefully we pass enough of them on by by teaching others, which is why I went into education, is hopefully the next generation could make up their own stupid failure modes, not have to replicate some of mine and others. Mm.
0: Steve's got a full write-up on the rise and fall of rocket science games on his website, steveblank.com just type rocket science in the search bar and if you're interested we'll have the links to both dan and steve's episodes in the description of this show that's all from us for now we'll be back soon with a full season of turnaround stories in the meantime check out our shiny new website at thegrowthshow.com you can also sign up for our newsletter we'll have some fun extras from this week's episode in there including info about some of rocket science's other games You'd think it'd be tough to beat Cadillacs and dinosaurs, but Steve did it. And finally, if you have a turnaround story you want me to hear, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hello at And just like that, you could end up on an episode of the show. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.